Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, October 24th, 2022. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, an ailing executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. We're going to get to why he is ailing in a minute. Uh, Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, Abe, so at long last, two and a half years into the pandemic that is either over or not over, about to have a surge or not a surge, you have finally contracted COVID. Can't believe it. I had prided myself on not getting it. Now you can hear, I, I not only tested positive, but I'm, I have symptoms. Uh, um, like Rochelle Walensky. Yes. Rochelle Walensky, CDC director. Unlike you, Rochelle Walensky got the fifth shot, got the bivalent booster, and, uh, and nonetheless contracted COVID a month after getting the bivalent booster. Yes. So um, interesting detail. In the Washington Post tour d'horizon of Biden's first uh, year and a half and the troubles that he fell into, uh, which I think was published, it was available on Friday. I don't know when it was in the paper, but it's like a 5,000 word piece in which the uh, clearly the administration, the White House participated. There are on the record quotes from Bruce Reed and Tom Donilon, who were like leading White House uh, aides in the, and so they were trying to shape and sculpt the piece. Uh, one very interesting detail was that inside the White House, uh, there was alarm that the claims that the vaccine was going to prevent transmission were unfounded. That what the vaccine could do was spare you, mitigate the symptoms, and 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 help you, but that it was not, in the conventional sense, a way of interrupting the transmission of COVID. Uh, no kidding. Gee, I, I didn't know that people in the administration thought that the that the vaccines weren't going to prevent transmission. I believe that they said openly that they were there to prevent transmission. Um, and I don't, and that they must not have said that the vaccines were important to take because they would they would be good for you individually, but not that they would because they thought that it would interfere with everybody getting the vaccine, which again creates an interesting problem because I think most of the reason that people hustled to get the vaccine, I mean, there were there were two reasons to hustle to get the vaccine. One was, yeah, to to spare yourself, but the other was your duty as a citizen to interrupt the transmission of the vaccine. Yeah. I, um, I think Which apparently thinking... was not your duty because it because there was there was evidence at the outset that it wasn't going to do that. But I, I think the thinking of so many Americans changed on this because a lot of people decided, well, it seems to be mostly like a cold now. And I don't run out to get a vaccine for for, you know, every cold that that comes through. Uh, Joe Biden, by the way, same boat as me. Not he's not infected, but he also has not yet gotten the fifth shot, the the, the new one. Well, I he's, think that's because informed. he got COVID too recently. Right. Didn't he get it in? When did he get it? Over the know. summer? Am I, am I nuts? Am I am I dreaming about this? Didn't he get it? So there's some, you're supposed to wait a certain period of time 
if you got it before getting before getting the booster. Um, anyway, my point is not that the question is were were the American people being handed a bill of goods, but not not for their own good. Like there was sufficient evidence that the vaccine wasn't there to prevent transmission, but to but to but to mitigate the 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 bad consequences of COVID, right? Is that a noble lie? Or is it just, you know, because then 70% of people got the got the vaccine. And uh I don't know. I mean I mean the platonic ideal of the noble lie, yes. But the platonic ideal of the noble lie is still a, a a sin. I mean, it's it's an offense against your civic propriety, unless you have a, a platonic ideal of what civilization should be, which is very anti-democratic, undemocratic, illiberal, and despotic. Um, so yeah, I mean, if that's your if you're starting from the idea here that we need we need Plato's conception of how to how to shape public opinion because people are too stupid and ignorant to know what's good for them, then yes, I guess. But that I was mean, always... Th- oh, go ahead, Abe. I mean, maybe I'm still being um, like hopelessly naive here. Part of me believes that the health officials at first had reason to believe because the sort of the data wasn't as clear as it got to be, had reason to believe at first that, that the vaccine did, in fact, uh, prevent transmission to a far greater degree than they found out it, it did. Now, who knows? In time, we may find out that this was they they always knew that this was essentially uh, a therapeutic. Uh, well, and that's that's actually where I think the noble lie has kind of transmogrified into the noble gaslighting. Right. Because there have been a series of these things where we did it with masks. We did it with social distancing. We did it with school closures. There were all these efforts, these initial efforts, which if you want to you know, you want to think the best of our public health officials and our and our elected leaders, you say, OK, they did their best. They were trying to to mitigate this this disaster. So it didn't spread. The problem is that at a certain point when those efforts were clearly not working and not doing the things that the officials claimed they would do, they doubled down on them. And then anyone who resisted was called a grandma killer, was called any number of epitaphs, was removed from social media platforms in some cases. And that's where I think, you know, it's one thing to argue for the noble lie at the very beginning of a crisis in an emergency where nobody really knows what's happening. But months in, years in, you can't call it that anymore. It really is a form of gaslighting. And I think it is really going to affect, uh, we were talking before we started taping, it's going to affect, the, the echo effect of those will be felt not just in the upcoming midterm elections, but for a generation. I mean, we're going to see the effects of this for a very long time. Okay. And we should talk about that but because we want to talk about the reckoning and some of the statistics and things like that. But here, here's the thing. So they doubled that. They're, they're continuing to double down, right? The CDC last week recommended adding COVID vaccination to the vac- to the vaccinations that children get in order to go to school. Terrible idea. This is demented. And I speak as somebody who is, I'm, I'm not against vaccinating or vaccinating kids. But um, we're back in a circumstance in which there are 300 some odd people a day dying from COVID and none of them are children. None of them, none of them are small children. They're not small children. More than a million people have died from COVID. Maybe 1200 of them are under the age of five. 
And there are legitimate there are legitimate concerns about myocarditis and other heart ailments for young men in particular taking right. who take these vaccines. So that is right. that is a that is a data point that has to be considered for requiring this for children. And so also, I'm not <clears throat> I'm not ahead. sure that the the data has been teased out sufficiently um, uh, to decipher how many children died with COVID and how many right. uh, of COVID either. And so the important thing here is that it remains the attitude of the establishment government bureaucratic medical world that creates these policies or wants to you know give guidance on how to create these policies that this vaccine regime that is more ambiguous though i think largely positive nonetheless but more ambiguous than people say is supposed to go on in perpetuity and um, I just want to read uh, uh, Barry Weiss, of course, the, as you know, commentaries 2022 Roasty on her substack, uh, which I have, of course, now I have too many tabs open and I'm going to have, I have problems. Okay, so here it is. Vinay Prasad, uh, who is a, a professor of hematology and oncology um, and, uh, you know, one, not a COVID vaccine skeptic but a covid but but you know somebody with a so he says i believe it was both bad medicine and bad policy to add the covid-19 vaccine to this list i come to that conclusion for four reasons i'm going to read the second reason okay the cdc's gamble could very well hurt vaccination rates more generally in an effort to encourage covid-19 vaccination the cdc may end up wind, wind up lowering vaccination rates for polio and measles why because by adding COVID-19 shots to the schedule, the CDC is tacitly implying that this new vaccine is Im as important to kids as the combination MMR1. This is absolutely false. Measles can be a devastating childhood illness, but vaccination provides durable, sterilizing immunity. When vaccination rates are high, measles outbreaks can be averted. COVID-19 vaccines, as millions have learned, do not prevent you from getting COVID-19. COVID vaccines do work to lower the risk of severe disease, but for healthy kids, the risk of severe disease is already extremely low. Once a child recovers from COVID, having had the disease itself provides immunity equivalent to or perhaps better than the vaccine. Currently, the CDC estimates that at least 86% of American children have had COVID. For this reason, I, along with policymakers in many advanced nations, think it is reasonable for a parent to vaccinate their child against COVID and also reasonable not to. Now, think about this. One area in which there seems to be evidence that COVID provides immunity itself is in children, which means maybe you want your kid to get COVID because the natural immune response will prevent COVID over time, whereas the vaccination will not, because it doesn't work. It's a different thing from a, it's a, vac, it's a different kind of vaccine. You know, you're not getting a dose, a minor little dose of the disease when you do the mRNA vaccine. It's a, it's a different immune response thing. I don't understand. I'm not a. I'm not going to go into this because I'm going to say stupid stuff if I haven't already in the past minute said unbelievably stupid stuff, which I could have. But um, what are they doing? And and I think do they not understand the degree to which they are sowing skepticism about 
their own, they're so concerned about people paying attention and being for in favor of science and all of this. And they are destroying public faith in their app, public application of science. And also in a very general, broad, crude way, they are pushing this bad dynamic in the country just by virtue of saying, we're going to make you do more. We, we know that you need to do more. You must. Um, whatever that is, is absolutely not what Americans want to hear. Well, the other thing is, note when people went ballistic last week, uh, when the CDC said they were going to you know, add this to the recommendation, and people said, they're doing it again, look what they're doing, the kind of thing that, that, that Prasad says here. Then these kind of these apologists in the media are like, you're doing it again. They're not even they're not mandating it. The CDC doesn't mandate anything. They're only recommending it. It's at the state and local level, the school that and they do everything. It. So you yeah. can yeah. it's like no, this this drove me. I, I have I'm yeah, sorry to interrupt, please. but this no, drove no, me crazy please. because this is exactly what ended with schools being closed long past right. the point they needed to, because everyone follows the CDC guidance. The state and local officials, having had very many of them no spine whatsoever to stand up to anything that isn't that isn't something that's best for the kids in the school system, will just say, Well, that's what the CD our hands are tied. The CDC recommended we follow CDC guidance. And of course, when the union teachers unions wanted schools closed past the point and kids mass past the point that the CDC recommended it then suddenly they think independently so that again like i you can probably hear the frustration in my voice parents in particular are not going to put up with the federal government telling them what their kids must inject into their bodies if there is no perceived need for it now and I really think Prasad is right because this is going to be a real problem. There are definitely childhood vaccines that we had seen some um, in, in anti-vax communities, which were weirdly like Northern California and some other places. There was a big anti-vaxxer movement for a long time that was leading to these outbreaks of measles and other things. That's bad. It is going to be much, much worse when they attach this to that. And I'll give you an example from Washington, D.C., where the mayor uh, Muriel Bowser required that all students get the COVID vaccine in order to return to school. As so, she, we've kind of done an early trial of this. They're not getting it. The kid, they're like half the kids in my son's high school are not vaccinated against COVID. They keep pushing off the date. They're like, well, now it's January. So initially, they weren't supposed to go to school in the fall without it. Now they've pushed it to January. People will just refuse. And then the officials have lost even more legitimacy by trying to pursue an effort in the name of public health that really isn't about public health in this case, because healthy kids under the age of 18, at least if you look at Europe in particular, they're not requiring it for kids who are healthy under if the age of 18. Christine, if there's no mandate, if there is a mandate, if certain lefty districts, and they will be only lefty districts, decide to punish their the, the people in their uh, orbits, use this as an excuse to impose a mandate, you don't think people are going to comply with it? Well, they're not in D.C. because you know what happened? You know who's not complying right now with the mandate? African-American students and their families. So there's a there's a whole race overlay here in D.C. with regard to who is not getting vaccinated. And the the, the elected officials are like, well, we don't want to step into that either. But I think some will comply, unfortunately. But I but more and more, even liberal parents I talked to are like, why should my kid get this? It's not necessary. It doesn't prevent. Yeah, no, I, I fully expect some sort of quiet resentment to brew around that. But the vote, the loudest voices in these districts, I would imagine, would be fully supportive of a restoration of a man. I don't have to worry about anything. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. know. I think it's a lawsuit waiting to happen, quite honestly. I don't know. Aside from the lawsuit aspect. So, I mean, I, I think Noah brings up an interesting thing, which is that there are people who go along and, you know, it's become a kind of political badge, you know, where you line up on this. And obviously, a lot of people line up 
are Democrats and liberals and progressives, and they line up in the way that they line up. Uh, it, it was it is the horrible mistake of the CDC and its people to have decided that the people, the half of the country that isn't that category of people, uh, are being manipulated, controlled, dominated by anti-science mania, and that they it is their job to stand against them, and that if necessary, as Keith Ellison, the Attorney General of the State of Minnesota, said you know, about businesses that he, this guy who like doesn't want to arrest anybody that he shut down uh, because uh, they would not impose mask, whatever, they would not impose social distancing or mask mandates in their customers, in their bars and stuff like that. He said, well, you know, they wouldn't comply. They wouldn't essentially said they wouldn't bend the knee to us and we had to enforce the law. Yeah. Well, first of all, it wasn't the law. These were emergency measures. They may have the force of law, but it is not law. It was not passed by the state legislature. It was not, you know, these were imposed by fiat. And, um, you know, as I say, this guy who supported the Black Lives Matter riots in his own state, uh, that he doesn't do anything about. But some bar doesn't want people to have to wear a mask. Then he'll go in and shut them down because they because they must obey. That's one of those things that's not happening until it is happening. And then it's good. That's a feature of our uh, left wing dominated discourse is that there's this thing that you're freaking out about isn't happening. And then when it does happen, well, it's probably a good thing that that's happening. And you're crazy for even noticing it, much less objecting to it. Right. Uh, you can see the mandates following that trajectory, certainly. But that was about COVID protocols, certainly about DE, just about every DEI initiative. Um, this will follow yeah. that a similar trajectory. But again, it'll be in districts where a lot of people, I think, will be very quiet about it. And maybe I we'll think... register this dissatisfaction only right. in the ballot box. So we're talking about the midterm elections. They're in 15 days. I mean, election, you know, the conclusion of the election since people are voting is in 15 days. And um, a lot of the uh, conventional media talk about the elections is now centering on how, oh, look what the Republicans did. They're going after crime. They every Everything was going bad. And then they just spent a lot of money on crime and they're scaring people about crime and they're scaring people and they're scared, blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. Um, there is in this men in this midterm election, you would not know that this midterm election is the first election is the second election about COVID. This is an election about COVID inflation is about COVID crime is about the behavior of municipalities and uh, states and stuff in relation to crime, uh, that, that began, during COVID and the the weird double standard that was enacted that said it was okay to commit crimes uh, as long as they were about racial, supposed racial injustice uh, and schools. Immigration. And immigration, immigration is also about COVID. Everything is about ev- the, th- the through line in every major issue is COVID. You but it's no that. one's priority. It does not show up in the polls. Less than a percent of people even say they care about it. But what they mean when they say they don't care about it, when they mean when they say they don't care about it is they're not worried about COVID, but they are about to make Democratic politicians pay for the Democratic Party's behavior in relation to COVID. 
And it's it's I, atomized into a bunch of different issues. It, right. it's, it's, I, they don't think of it right. as COVID. Right? Which yes. we've been saying is going to happen for a very long time. I can't. Yes. Unfortunately, it should be much more explicit because but I want everybody are, to know they are that not this making is a it. They, right. But they are. So let's talk about the reckoning. Can, can I can I Go add ahead. on the crime? Yeah. So here's an example of how uh, if Democrats are punished on crime, it will be justifiably so, because in the last week or so, a lot of Democratic candidates have finally stopped denying that crime is an issue for voters, that voters are concerned about crime, that they're not just, you know, listening to racist dog whistles because they're concerned about crime. They're particularly concerned about quality of life issues that stem from homelessness and and a lot of the stuff in cities like L.A., D.C., Chicago, New York, you know, subway crime, for example, in, in New York is a kind of constant uh, challenge. It's It's been and it's up quite a lot in the last two years. But here's here's a perfect example of this. Kamala Harris goes on TV this weekend and is asked about whether or not she encouraged people to donate to a bail fund for the people who were rioting and setting buildings on fire in Minneapolis in the wake of George Floyd. She lied. She said, I did not do that. That is misinformation. Important to note that she tagged that as misinformation. She did. She put out a tweet saying that people in the Biden administration did this, too. They were actively supporting people who were rioting and setting buildings on fire and looting, saying, help get these people out of jail. Pay put money into their bail fund. And then she lies about it now. That is going to come back to haunt her because that is just a blatant lie. But that, for me, epitomizes what the Democrats have done wrong on crime all along, which is not to simply say, yeah, it's a problem. Let's try to find solutions. They want to either pretend it's not happening, as Noah said earlier, and tell you you're wrong to notice it. And then at the final, in the end game, which we're now at with the midterm elections, when they do notice it, it's back to, well, we have to talk about poverty and the root causes of crime. They don't actually want to say, what are we going to do in the immediate here and now to, to stem this problem? I mean, we just had someone shot outside Nationals Park while everyone was sitting around eating brunch yesterday in Washington, D.C. We have had constant uh, gun violence and and uh, murders in the, in the capital city. And everybody, the, our mayor says very little about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. So- the most important development in relation to this reckoning came on Friday. Another Friday, maybe it was Sunday, I don't even know, but a weekend news dump, which was the results of the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Uh, this will be familiar to our older listeners because it was the finding in 1982 or 1983 of the parlous condition of the American educational system as a result of this 500,000 student survey that created the national education issue in the United States. A nation in crisis, Bill Bennett, the education secretary, nation at risk, Bill Bennett, the education secretary came out and said, we need to do something. We need to change the way we teach. We need to start um, you know, creating master teachers and uh, breaking the you know stranglehold of the education establishment on the way we teach. That was 40 years ago, and we just got the new one. And the new one says that for the first time in 30 years, students are uh, are are failing or like have gone backward in math. There has been a there has been a sort of steady and consistent. I'm sure because the tests have been gamed, but nonetheless, there's been a steady and consistent improvement over the course of these decades in math scores. And in 2022, net result of the COVID closures and what happened in American education, uh, math scores are down, reading scores have halted. Uh, it's the worst performance in the NAP in 
30 or 40 years, something like that. And uh, the, the jig is up. Like, this is it. Why did it happen? Because schools were closed. Why were schools closed? Because of an effort to prevent COVID transmission. What happened when we found out that kids weren't transmitting COVID and getting COVID and getting sick from COVID? Schools in many places remained closed for up to a year. What is the net result? Kids, particularly in seventh and eighth and ninth grade, are in disastrous shape. And some of that is not recoverable because if you don't, you know, there is a there's a cognitive leap moment at the age of 13 for anybody who is good at this stuff. And if it's not caught and reinforced, the moment passes. And this is a very, very serious matter. And there is no way to deny the numbers. Oh, I got a way to deny the numbers. It's okay. Go ahead. In the New York Times write up of this very phenomenon. You just have to go down, I think, like five or six paragraphs to get to the, the nut here, what you should take away, which is, quote, the test results could be seized as political fodder just before the midterms to relitigate the debate over how long schools should have stayed closed. What the New York Times wants you to debate isn't the school closures. It's the extent to which COVID funding for schools is running out. Mo money, mo problems. We're going to we're coming up on the, the end, the expiration of quite a lot of these funds that were distributed to states to the tune of 300 400 billion dollars okay i need to education read alone okay his money's running out where did it all go okay can, can i just add one point though there's also a very straightforward way to deny it um and anthony fauci has done that he said i never recommended uh, sis, 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 uh, uh long-term school closures that's it just straightforward denial Right. Okay. I I need to read the passage that Noah's evoking because there are two very important aspects of it. This is from the story by um, by uh, Sarah Mervash and Ashley Wu uh, in the New York Times. Okay. Um, Sorry. The findings raise significant questions about where the country goes from here. Last year, The federal government made its largest single investment in American schools, $123 billion, or about $2,400 per student in the United States to help students catch up. School districts were required to spend at least 20% of the money on academic recovery. Oh, wow. Only 20% on academic recovery. What was the other? Yes, as Noah says, what was the other 80%? percent spent on bonbons yeah i mean you could break I know, it down okay hvac systems right Fil- of ventilation okay um, no if you break down I, I, the covid funding tracker is a, is a brilliant tool for this sort of thing for, i don't really legislative care. level it was 350 right. billion dollars okay. for the states uh, and there's still some of that that is unspent some like you know seven okay seven eight but billion hold dollars. on hold off i let's not get into the details of this because i want to point out this point here with the funding slated to expire in 2024 Research, research suggests, just research, that it could take billions more dollars and several years for students to properly recover. So where does the Times go with the news that there has been this horrible decline in American academic performance uh, among elementary and secondary students? It's after $123 billion has been spent. We need more money. Give us more money. We need more money. 
Students aren't going to get better without more money. They spent more money. The, the, the public education system in the United States is broken. It's, been, it's broken by the very people who run it, who are the ones who then go say, oh, guess what? We do a really bad job. Give us more money so we can continue to do a bad job. And we are the people who insisted, superintendents, principals, teachers, we insisted that schools remain closed for our safety. But this was this was the message. So Randy Weingarten did this late mid mid to late summer of this past year before schools were set to reopen. She did a whole flurry of interviews, a, a kind of as as Abe said about Fauci, a sort of gaslighting series of events where she acted as if you know, oh well, I wasn't on the forefront of school closures when she was. And she said just this. She said, you know, we know our kids are going to be really facing a lot of challenges. So that means you have to give teachers more resources to help catch these kids up, with no acknowledgement of the fact that the reason they need to catching up is that so many of those teachers did just if they even phoned it in did a terrible job of it because schools were closed particularly for younger kids who were learning the basic skills of reading and math that we now see in these tests uh, over two years are, are, are in decline those kids needed in-person education and they didn't get it and the other thing is the the kids who've suffered the most according to these test scores are already the ones who are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds they're the poorer kids from poorer neighborhoods whose schools stayed closed the longest whose districts are deep blue and dominated by teachers unions. So that that the idea that now the now the issue is we just need to give more money to the same administrators and teachers who created this nonsense. I will also add they're spending a lot of money on social emotional learning, on CRT type training of teachers. You've seen a lot of like retreats for teachers. I've been shocked to watch how many of my kids' teachers there in public schools are constantly off on some like, you know, team building exercise. They're spending a lot of money on crap that doesn't need to be spent. But what they well, should that, be doing is teaching kids. And that is the most important element of this, which is while there was an educational crisis in the United States fostered by school closure, and innovation was required to deal with how are we going to teach these kids remotely. And in the mo most cases, there was no innovation or there was no way to do whatever. In a lot of places, there was no remote teaching. There were just packets sent home for kids to do themselves or whatever. You know, they basically just didn't go to school for a year in many, many places. Millions and millions of kids had no schooling for a year in any conventional year, year and several months for some right. of us, actually. Okay. So. What is the grave, what is the key interest in the educational community over the last two years? Is it how are we going to catch up? Is it are, how do we teach remotely? Is it how do we do that? No, it is social justice, Black Lives Matter, 1619 Project. That is where the juice is. That is where the interest of educators is. That where is the where money's the being spent. Yes. Yeah. Money being spent both privately and publicly. They don't care about reading. They don't care about math. I'm sorry. Of course, there are 4 million teachers in the United States. Plenty of them care. But as in aggregate, this community of people now cares about using schools to indoctrinate people politically. And while that indoctrination is part of education, I mean, all you have to do is read Rousseau to know that his whole idea is you use education to sculpt a person into being the kind of person you want that person to be and not simply to be educated in facts and figures and history and science. So indoctrination has always been a part of this, but they don't care about educating. 
You know why? Educating is hard. Yammering at people about injustice is easy. Sitting and like doing phonics and math and geometry and algebra one so that people understand how the higher logic works so that we can train people who can be engineers and can be, you know, and, and do the kinds of things we need to sort of build the society and keep the society fresh. That's hard. And it's complex, you know, and it's like, got, it's, it's basic and raw and it's not sexy and it's not, you know, fashion forward. And that's where we are. Can I bring up a side issue related side issue? Um, you know, who fought to keep schools open? <clears throat> and the worst of it, uh, the yeshivas, the, the 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 Jewish schools, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who are now, of course, ultimately demonized for doing wrong by their kids? No, the in in many in many public school districts, including in my own, the only reason they finally opened is that they were facing threats from in in DC's case from Catholic school parents who, uh, with masking and and closures, were saying, you know, this is impinging on our ability to educate our child religious education for our children, and it was only from the pressure that they see that they saw being brought to bear by parents in private schools that they realized that the logical conclusion of that would be, as it was going to be, a lawsuit from public school parents as well. Look, the story in New York City, you talk about yeshiva. So let's talk about the story among progressives in New York City. So here's the story. Schools my kids go to or went to busted their asses to remain open. Now, there was misbehavior on CRT and Black Lives Matter, but they busted. Why? Because we pay $50,000 a year to send them to school. One pub private school, famous private school that I went to for elementary school, Dalton, remained closed. Very progressive school, progressive parents, right? Blah, 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 blah. The entire senior leadership of Dalton was fired in 2021. Principal gone, CRT, every, they, were, they were the school to trustees and the parents and everything said, no, 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 no. Look, we'll pay lip service to all this bullshit. But uh, you're educate. Our kids are going to the kids at Brearley, which is where my daughters went. Like, they're going to school. You're keeping this school closed. Goodbye. Because that is a consumer model. Right? In the American education system, the citizenry that pays for schools is not considered a consumer who needs to be served anywhere. Cause of course that's capitalist that it's this and it's that whatever you want to call it. But we were told very explicitly that the school systems were being run in 2020 and 2021 for the benefit of teachers who would get sick from kids. Kids weren't getting sick. Kids weren't transmitting the disease. Teachers were going to get sick from kids, and that's why the schools had to remain closed. This is reckoning time. The NAP Republicans take over the House. This is reckoning time. Like they are not going to get away with this. Okay, I want to. The zoom story out is going to be told. Do a thirty thousand foot perspective on all these issues as we've talked about this. Do we have a, an ad to read? Because I want to posit a question. We do not have an ad to read. All right, so I'm please... positing a question to you guys. 
um, <clears throat> because I was listening to the National Review Editors podcast over the weekend, which is, if you don't listen, you should. It's a fabulous podcast. These All these people are the voices in my head that compete for primacy, um, except when Charlie's not there, and then I'm missing a very critical voice. Um, but nevertheless, they're arguing amongst themselves over assuming that, that Republicans do what we all think they're going to do, which is a very good night, November, November 8th. Um, what did Republicans win this election or, or will, they win, the will election, they win this election? It well, goes, it's, we're, yeah. we're waking up in the moment, moment, morning of November 9th. We're already doing, yeah. you know, retrospectives on what we assume to be a good night for Republicans. Did Republicans win it or did Democrats lose it? And the panel generally came down on the idea that Democrats have mishandled this election. And I don't think that's fair. Um, what fair are the whom? issue sets that we've been talking about? Fair today? to whom? Fair to Republicans, okay, Republican so candidates broadly, why? and the and the party generally. Even though we're all talking about a bunch of cats running in several different directions, all of whom contribute to one um, exciting event on November eighth, if they do end up doing as well as I think they will. But what are the issues that Republicans wanted to focus on that they were getting no traction on for the most part of the course of uh, the early summer? Um, in immigration, crime, uh, as the education issues, and even inflation to a certain degree. Um, the media environment was working against them, was ignoring these issues when they weren't just tamping them down. Democrats were being primed by their elected representatives and their allies in the press to disregard or dismiss these issues. You even see it in polling today where Democrats know that they're not supposed to say inflation is the most important issue facing the country. They're supposed to say democracy or they're supposed to say racial inequality or climate change. And they do. They're primed. Um, they know what the right answer is for pollsters. Uh, the fact that these became issues is the result of deft strategic maneuvers by Republicans. The immigration busing flying thing, I know that's a complete, you know, is very controversial and scary, but it absolutely made immigration as a significant election year issue. It made it uh, 30 or four points more relevant according to the New York Times Siena poll, or rather the Monmouth poll, uh, than it was last month. Crime has been an issue that re Republicans incepted into the national consciousness. They've been talking about this for two years now. But it didn't register until Republicans spent ridiculous amounts of money airing ads only almost exclusively on this issue and made it a national issue. Um, even obviously the environment is creating and making education again another issue because of the abject failures uh, of the educational establishment. But this sort of faded in relevance after the 2021 elections, which may, I think really pivoted on education and keeping schools open as the single issue. But it faded in relevance as COVID faded. And the fact that it's back now and Republicans can and should own it is a function of their strategic foresight. Uh, I think Republicans deserve a lot of credit for making the issue set, the relevant issue set, their issue set right now. It's not climate change. It's not racial inequality. It's not guns. It's not abortion. It's not even COVID. It's everything that benefits Republicans and Republicans made that happen to a certain degree. But in the sense that these were real issues created by Democrats first. Um, I have to say Democrats lost it. I mean, it, it, it's not as if you're saying Republicans deftly invented these things um, and, and sort of made issues out of non-issues. These were very real, um, being experienced by a whole host of different populations in the, across the country. That's absolutely fair, but they could have mishandled these issues too. And... I don't think anybody would say just based on the landscape, we survey the landscape and see what's relevant. I don't think you could say that Republicans mishandled this to the extent that they were handed a, a pot of gold. Yeah, but they made the most of it, which is not something you can always say for 
what is not well, affectionately how, known as the stupid party. And how will the Democrats, I think we're getting new GDP numbers, what, on Thursday? So this, are they going to continue to try to claim we're not heading into a recession or in a recession? Remember, that was the two quarters. Well, they are. Argument. They're going to say it, but it won't be real. No, but they are because supposedly from what we're hearing, the GDP number will be good. Well, if it is good, then that's even worse because right. everybody, 100% of people expect a recession in 2023, which means double dip. Right. But. And what the double I'm dip saying is, is, is the, the so, other dip so is the, never right. as good as the first dip. Right. So <laughs> like this a roller is the, coaster. Right. So this is the third quarter. And the third quarter number, having been, as Noah alludes to, you know, there having been two previous quarters with negative growth, slight negative growth, so like 0.4% or something like that. Uh, apparently, we're going to grow. So uh, there are pro projections as much as 2.5% growth. And Democrats are going to start singing happy days are here again. And that is stupid. That will be yes, very stupid. because inflation is still very bad. Right. Because people don't live on macroeconomic statistics. There is this whole thing was going on all weekend on Twitter. Very impressive people. The great historian TJ Styles, others are like, we're at three and a half percent unemployment. Why are people complaining about the economy? Well, why don't you think about it a little bit, okay? Because we're at three and a half percent unemployment. That seems to be a good number, just like two and a half percent growth seems to be a good number. But for the 97% of people who are employed, they're not grateful for being employed. They're looking and seeing their purchasing power decline. And they were getting raises. And they're getting raises that are just keeping up, if not quite, with inflation. And so yammer about macroeconomics all you want to and the large, the size, the, you know, how much growth there is in a $22 trillion economy. People's felt experiences, you are going to sound, it, this is literally out of touch. And it's going to happen. Biden will, you know, if the numbers, Biden will come out and make a speech. Biden said we need to tell a good story about the economy before the election. You can't tell people a story about the election that they do not feel to be true. You can hand your partisans a talking point so that when they're having a fight at a barbecue, they have something to yell back at the Republican who is saying everything is terrible. And that's useful politically. You want to keep your people's spirits up. But it's not going to change any minds. It's not going to make any difference. The, that is baked in the cake. How the economy feels to people is not going to change in the next 15 days. They're not going to feel different because of a reported number that can also be adjusted, as we know, wildly. Um, but I want to get to the important thing that Noah was talking about, about the right, about do, are Republicans winning or are Democrats losing? And I think Republicans are winning, but I think Democrats had a chance to win, but it was a long time ago and they and they and they bungled it. In the famous phone call after the 2020 election with House Democrats, Abigail Spanberger, who was locked in a difficult race in Virginia's 7th district for re-election, yelled at her fellow Democrats and said, you have ruined us. You lost us 14 seats because of what you said about crime. We need to change this narrative because people think that we're soft on crime. 
And here we are two years later, and Democrats didn't change the narrative. Now, gaslightingly, they will say they did. Biden says, I'm not for defunding the police. Well, whoop de freaking do. You know, when you think about Democrats and crime, do you think they're tough on crime? Does anybody, including Democrats, want think they're tough on do Democrats want them to be tough on crime? We don't know. Spamberger won in a in Eric Cantor's district. That was a Republican district. That is that's why she's yammering. Democrats lost in South Florida on crime. Those were Democratic districts. They've got they're Republican districts. Democrats like snuck and took some of them away, and then they lost them back because of crime. So when you're in a swing district, you know what people really think of the party, and the party isn't tough on crime. Well. I mean, similarly, let me just finish this point. I'm sorry, because I'm monologuing. But similarly, Biden in March of 2021 had a February had a choice to make. Was he going to go with a six hundred billion dollar recovery bill or a two trillion dollar recovery bill? Would he accept the Republicans saying we six hundred billion more or was he going to go for being LBJ and FDR? Had he gone the other way, as Ross Douthat talks about in a very, very good column uh, over the weekend, we don't know what the history of the United States would be over them. According to that Washington Post piece that I mentioned, the one on Biden's first two years, we pumped. I hadn't seen this number before, so I was really struck. In one year, in 2021, the federal government pumped into the economy through the through the relief package and other spending. 19% of the size of the overall economy was injected into the American economy, 19%. Guess what? We have 8% inflation. Was that predictable? Yes. It wasn't predictable by us. Larry Summers predicted it. What if Biden hadn't done that? Then there wouldn't have been an inflation issue. What if he had what if he had been tougher on crime? There wouldn't wouldn't have been a crime issue. A real what? missed opportunity not to blame inflation on Trump yeah. because the whole $14, $1,400 stimulus check was Trump's idea and Republicans yes. didn't want to do it. And then Democrats said, no, we should be doing this. This is this is great. And so they did it. There yes. was there was a, something that we circulated. John, I think you sent it earlier today on our text thread. But it struck me as the moment when I think we can now say true desperation is set in because it's not just that the Democrats are all over the place with their messages on the things that bother people, but even the people in the media who are constantly either ignoring the bad news or trying to boost as good news things that aren't good news. The Associated Press put out a tweet today linked to a story um, and it said one handshake one hug, and one selfie at a time. President Joe Biden is on a mission to connect with everyday Americans. And it just, it made me sort of ruefully laugh because he, remember he was boasting in the summer that everyone's going to want me out on the stump. They're going to want me arguing for them and out there glad handing because I'm the guy everybody wants to see. Well, he's not. Actually, a lot of people have asked him to kind of teleconference in just for a few minutes for their rallies. And he's he's really not that popular. But this, the, the fact that the Associated Press feels this need to write a puff piece about Joe Biden Biden's everyday glad handing struck me as a kind Christine, of sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> quote, aides say the 79-year-old has perfected his selfie arm, the products of which are widely shared on social media. Christine, oh, my God. You don't appreciate <laughs> this? Yeah. Make it stop. Yeah. <laughs> no, Biden's really great on social media. You know, he appeared with this cosplaying, you know, drag queen. Oh, who a man who pony, was telling us the, what a woman is. With the pigtails. Yeah, don't even get me started yeah, man, on that. Yeah, man, mansplaining what a woman is. Um, literally a drag, you know, so... 
you know, that that I'm sure. Well, and got, by the way, got Biden as a pol- from a policy matter, got Biden to endorse an extremely radical yes. policy agenda in terms of transgender children that Europe has just abandoned. The National Health Service in the well, UK has just yeah. abandoned. It's OK. We know that he was asleep when he did it. So it do- doesn't 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 really matter. I think um, I, I am. I just think we need to think about this in terms of the record. Why did Biden think that he had the free hand to inject four trillion new dollars into the economy? COVID. What is the response? What what has happened to the economy? The first inflation spiral in 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 four decades. Why did that happen? COVID. Where? Why? Why? What did it build on? Trump and the first rescue plan. Which had already injected another six uh, percent of the economy into the economy. I mean, you know, equivalent of six six percent of the overall economy. Also inflationary, maybe necessary. You know, we all of that. Um, school closures, crime, a general sense of public safety, a general sense of drift, and then I think very importantly, the fact that the na- the nation's institutions, which lean liberal uh got everything wrong got a lot of things wrong and maybe they did it out of you know they they were just trying to do the right thing and ultimately that is what we're going to hear there's going to be all this oh the republicans are like ganging up and they're looking you know you'll see when they take over the house and they're going to do hearings on what happened to the COVID money and they'll do hearings on, you know, education and this and that. And they're just looking to their, you know, their, their scapegoat. They're going to scapegoat people who are just trying to do good. And this is what happens when people, when liberals are held accountable, the thing that happens when they're held accountable is they say, our hearts were in the right place. You do not get to judge us. And that is all well and good for them, but it is not, sufficient unto the day and people want to know what happened there's also i think it's one more issue it's kind of a superficial issue but nonetheless it's there which is that um the democrats have had a thorough personality and charisma crisis here right there is no one to sort of paper over all the bad news all the bad policy there's no obama who is beloved nonetheless or or clinton at the height of his popularity uh and the the heroes they did have the charismatic figures all fell from grace uh you know andrew cuomo and and uh, fauci to 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 a large yeah. extent they they had no one they had there's no no messenger no nothing right so here's one last point i want to bring up cuz noah asked this question so i want to ask you this question New York Times did a piece yesterday on how Republicans are using, you know, demonizing rhetoric in their campaign ads. And it's really shocking because they're really demonizing uh, Democrats and they're making it as though, you know, they, you can't have conversations with people when you say they're communists who want to destroy our democracy or whatever. And I'm reading this piece and I'm like, what am I again? Am I taking crazy pills? Like, yes, they're doing this. And there's a lot of this stuff where they're talking. What have these people been saying about Republicans and Trump people and all that for six years? What, what are they saying? At no, present? what they're saying is they're e- they're saying I, I know I caught a they're going yesterday to, yeah. for Kathy Hochul, uh, ahead of the Giants game. Uh, so it's a big spot and they put a lot of money behind it. And the closing message is uh, civil rights. 
Kathy Hochul uh, supported some local civil rights bill and they had minorities out there touting it. And then they pivoted to Lee Zeldin, who was you know, not explicitly, but implicitly against civil rights because of the whole 2020 thing, January 6th, and a variety of other tenuous connections. Yeah. But nevertheless, bad on civil rights, kind of racially hostile at the very least. That's their closing message right now. Right. And NBC News poll reported today, right? NBC News poll finds sky-high interest in polarization ahead of midterms. 80% of Democrats and Republicans believe the political opposition poses a threat that, if not stopped, will destroy America as we know it. So they're reporting this in this kind of breathless tone, uh, Mark Murray, you know, writing, writing the piece. And um, it's like, oh, my God, look at the country that we're in, right? That people feel this way. I mean, Republicans didn't invent the line that our democracy is being destroyed. I'm sorry. Whatever you want to think, our democracy is being destroyed is the Democratic line of the last set. And then Trump, very opportunistically and cleverly, jumped on it as well in his own way to say our democracy is so untrustworthy that the vote is being stolen or blah, whatever you want to call it, right? Um. There is this weird precrimination that it's really terrible that Republicans think that Democrats want to destroy our country, but it's perfectly okay for Democrats to think that Republicans want to destroy the country. This is and I mean, again, am I taking crazy pills? No, but this is this is one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy. Now and then you see these shows, articles that seek to address um our political polarization right that is the framework but what it's really about is how crazy the republicans have gotten right it's that, and i'm i'm perfectly happy to watch to to address our political polarization i think it's necessary i think that's a good idea but it never turns out that is not the, that is not the the argument that's ever made it is look at the effects of talk radio look at the effects of crazy right wing social media fox when fox when most people on social media are are are, are liberal anyway but it it all gets ignored i mean i think it's terrible that people use this kind of rhetoric but people use the rhetoric that they use because it reflects a national feeling and they're using it not because it's poll tested or because, but because they know it makes people respond and we're in this era of negative polarization and that's not healthy. And I agree that it's not healthy, but saying that, which is the classic, this Margaret Sullivan, Jay wrote, you know, like there's a good side and a bad side and the Republicans are the bad side and Democrats are the good side. We will, they will end up being surprised every single time, or they, they're the ones who are turning on the country. Well, yeah, and they're I the was, ones who but, are saying that the country is born in 1619 sin. This is, Go ahead. Sorry. This is the strategy that is actually quite dangerous though, on their side of the aisle. And it's to say that when Republicans win elections, democracy has failed. That is where they're headed. You're looking, you see, look at all the election deniers. They're putting in these positions. Look at all these people who are running. Look, Stacey Abrams has made this her campaign theme. When they lose, what can they say except that look democracy has been overtaken by fascism well, we talked the, about this right last thing. week they're talking themselves not into the notion that american institutions are flawed because that's just too bridge a bridge too far just yet but that the voters are flawed the voters are idiots right because they're prioritizing their their parochial pocketbook issues 
above you know the the health of democracy democracy is at stake and ron klein was was retweeting stuff over the weekend to this extent you know people who are responding to tom nichols who i like and who i think is is a, a decent guy despite his personality on on social media but he's been saying you know democracy is at stake and these idiot voters are privileging gas prices and inflation and they are sacrificing the legacy that we were bequeathed by the, our, our fathers who fought for the, this you know it's a lot of a lot of bluster, but that's the sort of thing that Ron Klain zeroed in on and found and was retweeting, you know, uh, statements to the effect of supporting this notion. And yeah, psychologically, that's where you're going to get yourselves. If these idiot voters cannot be led to water, much less drink it, then they deserve what they get. But but you know what? That's true, right? That's the Mencken. <laughs> well, I mean, the it's a sort of a Mencken quote. No, but in this sense, of, right? Uh, yeah, view Mencken of what the said the American said. people will get what they want and they'll get it good and hard. But like, he was so incredibly what... cynical. He's not a guy to hold yourself up to as a model. Who, Mencken? Yes, he's a No, I'm not holding myself quotes. up as a model. I just think it's right. Like <laughs> It is, it's this right. It's not something you if should model Tom, your party if It's important in this context to say that this line, which is the American people don't know what they're doing they know perfect they will know perfectly well what they are doing and i will say this about republicans who are voting even though trump represents a threat to democracy i agree that trump represents a threat to democracy i believe that the 1619 project represents a threat to democracy i believe that critical race theory represents a threat to democracy i believe that stacey abrams represents a threat to democracy Maybe Trump is worse because Trump was the president and he is therefore, you know, pushing people in a more extreme way than other people can. But in aggregate, the liberal establishment's embrace of radical ideas about the United States represents a threat to our democracy. And I don't really feel like they have given me maybe Liz Cheney has decided that she you know, knows where she lines up on this. They have given me no reason to say, okay, I'm going to hold my nose and vote for them, even though their status and stuff like that, because they break because of the threat to democracy. Because I don't hear them making a making the larger case. Well, and 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 especially for Democrats, have they not learned this lesson? I mean, they should have learned it after Hillary, but they didn't. When you condescend to voters, you reap what you sow, and in two weeks, they are going to reap what they sowed with this constant condescending attitude towards American voters and to American voters who want to tell them what they're worried about and instead are responded with, that's that's not that big a deal. I mean, Nancy Pelosi also did this on the on the weekend news shows this weekend. She was like, oh, we got to change the story about inflation. Right. They condescend to people about right. their real concerns. So Tom Nichols, of course, wrote a book called The Death of Expertise, right? And he was a, the cult of the expert, the expert. And, you know, people don't listen to experts anymore. And this is terrible. Well, I mean, who made the economic policy in the United States in 2021? It wasn't, you know, it wasn't people picked by lot like in Athens who became treasury secretary because, you know, Janet Yellen would ran the Fed. And I, as far as I know, I don't think Janet Yellen said, I don't think we should be spending this money because it's going to cause inflation. She's as expert as you can get. She ran the Fed. She's now the treasury secretary. And she led this country into a briar patch. And she's an expert. That's the problem. The problem is when you say there's something higher, right, than the public's understanding of things. Well, I mean, that's probably true in many ways, but we do believe in this notion that there is a the wisdom of crowds and democracy or republics or whatever, the ultimate proof of the idea of the wisdom of crowds. 
individually people are crazy and stupid and 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 irrational and dangerous and horrible but collectively there is some moderating effect on their behavior and when experts believe that they know better and 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 they prove that they don't then they don't get the elevated station that they think that they should have because they went to school for nine years and some guy who's voting didn't get to go to college or didn't want to go to college. And he's, you know, he's working at a gas station. His common sense may outweigh their, you know, Laputin genius where they're sitting up in the, you know, in the, in the, in the clouds, um, you know, crapping on everybody below, which is the story of Gulliver's when Gulliver goes to the to the world of people, you know, the the sky people, and what do they do? And they're wonderful. They their excrement lands on the ordinary people who are living below the clouds on Earth. You know, how is that for a highbrow literary reference? We can't end on excrement. <laughs> You just okay. described blue check Twitter. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> um, so uh, tomorrow night, by the way, uh, wanna, tomorrow night is a big night for political junkies. Seven o'clock, Hochul Zeldin debate. Eight o'clock, Fetterman Oz debate. Get your popcorn. This is uh, this is this is going to be a this is going to be a good one. I really didn't believe in the Zeldin surge until I saw the ads this weekend from Hochul. I mean, basically, the Hochul people are admitting they think she can lose, and I, I'm just, I mean, I we've been talking about it for six weeks, and it's like, well, you know, he'll come up short or whatever. Oh, speaking of this, and then not to really, I don't know, just going, but there's a poll in the Seattle Times. Uh, that has, you know, veteran senator of 97 years and running in sneakers, uh, Patty Murray, um, up over Tiffany Smiley, this kind of remarkable Republican grassroots candidate. But she's only up eight. Uh, I think it's like 49-41. And uh, she was down 18 a month ago. Uh, if you believe this poll, and you think this poll is like, maybe not enough momentum to get her over the finish line to beat Patty Murray. But this is where the wave shows up when a race that someone would have won going away two years ago or four years ago, she wins by four instead of 20, which is, which will be the Hochul story. That's where there are going to be secondary effects all over the country from the fact that Democrats are staying home, Republicans are energized. That's what the New York, the NBC News poll shows is a 15-point enthusiasm gap in Republicans' favor. That was supposedly had closed. Guess what? It had didn't close or it opened up again. So we will be back tomorrow. Christine will not be with us. Somebody else will endeavor to fill her shoes for a day. But and for Christine and Noah and Abe, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.